What's up, everybody? It's Luke Thomas here. Hold this microphone a little bit closer. Hope you're doing well. Uh, this is the Promotional Practice Live Chat here on the road again. I'm in my terrible, terrible hotel room in Anaheim, California. We tried to go to the Fighter Hotel, and that was booked up. So we had to get a hotel nearby, and your boy is, I mean, it looks all right in the back, but trust me, this is not a nice hotel. But I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be doing this today. I'm excited. As soon as this is over, I'm going to get in a car. We're going to drive to the UFC 214 press conference. Man, I haven't seen a press conference in a long time, huh? Now, I know they did the one um, sort of setting up the summer, but I mean a press conference for an event on Fight Week. Um, for that event itself, uh, it's been a while, I feel like. I can't remember the last time they did one of these. So I'm excited. We'll talk about that, not just the press conference, but, of course, the return of John Jones, UFC 214. Um, we can put a bow on UFC on Fox 25. There's a lot of things we can do. Best place to get your questions in, of course, is going to be on in the comment section uh, at MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. I apologize for the camera. My normal camera is not working. I don't know why. It's just not. So... Uh, but we'll make it do. Actually, I'll show it to you um, because that's just what we're going to do. We're going to adapt and overcome. Uh, all right. So without further ado, let us get to the questions here on the podcast. Oh, and of course, give the video a thumbs up and then subscribe to MMAfighting.com. I mean, if you're not subscribed already, I don't know what you're doing. So, All right. First question. This is how the first question goes. I didn't write it. When he needed this person, right? But was it the right opponent for a proper rebound? Weidman's win was no doubt impressive, but with people saying he's in the title picture now or should fight for an interim belt, it got me thinking. Gastelum is an undersized middleweight from a loss. That's why I felt this matchup was lose-lose for Weidman to begin with. I wouldn't agree with that at all. Gastelum almost finished Weidman in the first Weidman had a hard time keeping him on the mat. It can be argued a major reason he lost, Gastelum lost was the size advantage. That's not a major reason. Uh, Gastelum seems to be held in this regard, that if he loses a 185, it's okay, because he's never supposed to fight that weight class anyways. Because of that, Gastelum's stock went up from the loss. Unfortunately for Chris, it doesn't seem like as big of a feather in his cap as it would have been had he beat a proper middleweight of the same caliber as Kelvin. So with that said, geez, that's a long question. In Weidman beating a guy as a game of opponent as Gastelum is that is undersized and arguably never belonged in the division to begin with, I don't feel this win propels Weidman back to the title picture and that he needs to be the solid top five guy before he can even be considered. Am I wrong in thinking this? Well, uh, parts of that you're wrong. Parts of that I think you're right. So let's parse this out a little bit. Um, usually what I do is on the mornings of these things, I go and I look at the comments maybe once or twice, and I may miss a bunch, and I'll catch a few, just to kind of see what the tenor of the, the conversation is. And I saw one down there. Um, I'm not sure if we'll even get to it, but the question was, you know, oh, I'm really upset with the, the kind of content MMA media generally is producing these days. And, um, you know, it's all about Connor and Floyd, no, 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 no. And, okay, I mean, I think these are reasonable concerns to have, give or take. But my point being was, I hope you're watching the Monday Morning Analyst because – we went over this in great detail, in great detail. Um, you know, in part, part of the way that you're able to make some of these arguments about whether or not this win was redemptive or not, about whether or not Gastelum is oversized or I should say undersized or middleweight or not, 
um, I think is to really understand the nuances of the fight. Now, certainly there's levels above what I'm even capable of understanding, but I feel like if you watch the Monday Morning Analyst, I know this sounds like a cheap plug, but really I'm serious. Uh, Gilbert Dorino Burns, IBJJF World Champion, retweeted it because uh, he told me he liked it. So the takeaway from that fight for me, after watching it a couple times and breaking it down for that podcast, and I'll please encourage you to go watch it if, if, you, if you have time, is it is true that there were clear moments in that fight where the size disparity revealed itself. There was one moment where Weidman had an underhook on one side against the fence and then was able to grab the ankle and without much effort, not just to yank it out from under Gaslam, but, I mean, send him crashing to the mat. That shouldn't really happen against somebody as strong as you, right? Shouldn't, that shouldn't be possible unless you're really just not even trying, and I don't think he was really not trying. There was another moment where they were in a scramble. I'm sure you can see me. Gaslam's like this. Weidman's on like top like this, and Weidman wants to spin to the back. The way you stop that, of course, is if you get a hand up and they can't, or a hand, yeah, an arm up and they can't go around, right? Gastelum actually gets it up, and then Weidman sags his weight into it to break it, eventually forcing the elbow just to the rib so it's not out here really protecting, and he lets it go. Those are two pretty clear instances in my mind that demonstrated that this was not an appropriate weight class for him. However, what that doesn't suggest is that the reason why Weidman won is predominantly weight class. In fact, predominantly the reason why he won was a skill differential on the ground, aided by a clear size differential. Because there's weight classes for a reason, because size differential, look, some guys can go up weight classes and beat the hell out of their competition. You know, Pacquiao went up, what, eight weight classes, something like that? Uh, Mayweather's gone up five or six. Uh, those are boxing weight classes, I understand. Connor gone 155, 145. Some guys can go up there and they can do pretty amazing things, but most of the time size matters. And there's a limit to that. And um, it is fair to say that this is probably not an appropriate weight class if Gaslin wants to be an elite competitor for a sustained period of time over at middleweight. It's not true to say that what really made the difference there was Weidman's size in the end. Um, and he, look, he used his size in more than just those two scenarios. You know, we, we talked about being a turtle, resting him and forcing him into turtle and, and everything else. But there's a lot of times where Gastelum is being just outsmarted there, you know, where he's rolling to turtle because these are things he can do with, you know, normal ease. And Weidman has a far side either cross wrist or he's got a far side hand in the opposite thigh, allowing Gastelum to roll to his base, but at a slow speed so that he can control what happens when he gets there. That's just technical superiority. That's just technical superiority. I mean, the, the, that is pretty clear of a, a level of difference on the ground there. You might say, well, look, he's holding him on the ground because of a size differential. Okay, it's aiding him. I don't think ultimately maybe it's the best place for him to be, but it's not, not a quality win. It's a quality win. Now, is it the kind of win that would ordinarily to a title shot? Now, ordinarily, I think the answer would be no. You know, you just had a three-fight losing streak. You beat one guy, even if this was a guy who's normal size as Weidman. Even then, I wouldn't say this is the kind of fight where um, it will send you back to the top of the, the food chain for, uh, for a title shot. But here's the truth about it. Let me uh, pull this up. The rankings. Uh, something wrong? No. Okay, good. Whenever I see my boss G-chatting me, I always 
freak out because I always feel like something's wrong with it. This uh, is your champion, and Whitaker's your interim champion. Now, Whitaker can't compete until, presumably, if this being is to defend his title this year, it's not going to be against Whitaker. Then you have Yoel Romero, just lost. Luke Rockhold, coming off of a loss, already has a fight in September against David Branch. Jacare, lost. Wyman at five. <laughs> Silva at six, and I guess Silva's coming off of that win over Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson at seven, lost. Kelvin Gaslam at eight, lost. Uh, and then David Branch coming off that win, I believe, at nine. So you're only two guys in the top ten who are available, and then Christoph Jocko, I guess. Only two guys above David Branch are Brunson and Weidman. So what are you going to do? If you're the UFC now, I mean, part of the argument that I was able to make, I, I think, against GSP versus Bisping was that at the time they were proposing it, there were a ton of middleweight contenders that were available. And now there's none. Um, you know, Weidman versus Bisping would be fun, um, but it's not, it's not, you know, in the, in the meritocratic sense that we normally think of things, it's low priority, you know, um, that's not, that's not really a fair fight. And this is really the shame of it all. You know, this is what, th it all ties together here, right? This is really the shame of it all. Poor Gagard Musasi. Because he was on a five-fight win streak, right? Five, I mean, it was four or five, maybe five. Five-fight win streak. And maybe if Weidman had won, they would have just done a rematch. So maybe this would be a moot point. But part of me wonders if they would just give him a title shot. Far and away. Far and away. He'd be right now at this moment the most qualified contender. Easily. Easily. Uh, and he's not there. So they... You know, I'm not saying they're necessarily making things harder themselves from a pay-per-view standpoint. I don't know that Weidman appreciably adds or denies anything that Musasi would have brought. But from a meritocratic standpoint, for a guy who was chasing a title shot low these many years, you know, you got to feel bad a little bit for I mean, you don't have to, but I kind of feel, you know, Musasi can go crying to a bag of money. I don't mean that, but I mean, you do want to look, what's part of what UFC 214 is about? You want to see greatness actualized. I like to see greatness in sports actualized. If someone's coming up and they're a baller ass, as you can be wrong about them. Well, I, I don't know if they are or they're not going to be, but you know, you do want to see greatness realized. I want to see Connor go defend his title, man. If he really is as good of a lightweight as some of us think he might be, um, let's see him go do it, man. And the 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 Mayweather thing's a little bit different, but um, you, you know, with John Jones, like, do you want to see John Jones fail? I mean, you might because you don't have a personal animosity for him, but It'd be bad for UFC, it'd be bad for MMA, but that's not a reason to cheer or not for your cheer room. But here's a guy who you know somewhere along the line had the potential to be like the best ever. This is a referendum weekend. It's a huge fight. And so for those many reasons, you want to see greatness actualized. And um, part of the problem with going to Bellator is you're going to get paid what you want. Um, but I don't know that you can be able to make at least a middleweight right now over there, you know, sufficient claim to actualizing your peak greatness. All right. See what else we got. Someone says Jacare. I was about to ask the same. The size difference was so noticeable on the scales that I didn't think a win was going to do much for Weidman. Here's the other part about the win for Weidman that, that I think you have to matter or take into account, I should say. Um, it wasn't really that he got a win. He got a win via stoppage. He got a win via stoppage in his hometown. I think that really had a rejuvenating rebound effect. 
Now, whether or not that entitles him to a title shot, different argument. But I mean, they're very loosely, spiritually, seem quite rejuvenating. And ultimately, um, he got it fighting in a way that speaks to his strengths. He is very, very talented on the ground. He always has been. Um, he got into trouble against Rockhold with poor fight IQ, throwing that spinning wheel kick and taking down to the ground, and he got finished there. Really very poor decision-making. Um, he was getting, he was striking with Musasi when he got stopped. Now, the UL Romero thing, he was winning and he was on his way. He kind of nakedly set up that shot, so he could have done a better job. So that is not exactly um, – doesn't fit the narrative. But I, I just think on balance, work when he has an opportunity to do so with wrestling and grappling and the mixing in between. And when you can do it when you have a size advantage, um, even better. So I think that's why the win is a little bit more significant than folks may realize. But I agree, if there is any title talk, it's only because there's no Musasi and the rest of Slim Pickens. Um, middleweight has a lot of contenders coming up of a loss, so one win may propel fallen contenders back into contention. I agree. Personally, I think Jacare makes sense for both parties. Him and Weidman? Get a book now if Chris... Fit if Chris is fit and well, let those two duke it out, as I would also be keen uh, for Weidman to go in against someone who isn't rocking, who isn't someone with one-punch knockout power. If they don't want to if they want to give GSP the title shot at this point, I'm not sure what you could say, because they're considering everyone else is worthy of a title shot, uh, and not even then, really. Uh, I, would, I would be okay with a Weidman-Yoel rematch. I don't know if you guys have an appetite for that. I don't want to see that again. I mean, he was winning that fight pretty cleanly up until that point, you know. Luke, strangely enough, there's not been any analysis of the Cyborg versus Avenger fight. I don't think that's a mistake. It's not oversight, let me assure you. A Wonder Boy, excuse me, and the welterweight division. Hi, Luke. Hello. What is the latest on Wonder Boy Thompson? You know, I was thinking about that myself. Obviously, he was in the corner of Weidman. I have not spoken to him. On the back of not beating current champ Tyron Woodley in two attempts, is he sitting back and hoping that Maya wins this week before he hops on to challenge for the belt then? Or does he in the fight? No, I don't think so. I think he's probably just, you know, he had long back-to-back -back camps, Probably is taking his time to figure out what he wants to do, teaching class. Um, you know what? Let me make a note of that. I'm going to make a note of that. Catch up with Wonder Boy. I'm start making notes from this. With Wonder Boy. There we go. All right. I'm going to make a note from that. Now we'll come back to you the next week with an answer. Uh, so I'll just leave that alone. So it says, I would love to see Wonder Boy fight the winner of Cerrone versus Lawler. And I keep saying this, and I don't, I don't know if y'all hear me or not. Look, I'm done making. I'm not going to make any predictions about it because um, I don't have enough information to make a strong proclamation here. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is I do have enough information to at least offer a concern. That's it. No more, no less. Namely, you had Robbie Lawler, who had that long career before he ever had his UFC return. Hard Matt Brown fight fights. Hard 
uh, Roy McDonald fight, the fight he was losing. And then you had that Condit fight. I mean, folks. And then he comes back and he defends his title against Tyron Woodley or tries to and gets knocked out in the first round. Carlos Condit takes time off, comes back, and gets finished in the first round. Both those guys, Condit and Lawler, after that fight, lost their subsequent bouts, both first-round finishes. Now, I don't know what's going to happen because Cerrone's taken a fair amount of damage over the course of his career and taking those two fights back-to-back and the latter of those being the um, the, the Jorge Masvidal fight. And I thought, you know, I, I absolutely have the highest amount of respect for um, his corner. You know, Greg Jackson and Brandon Gibson are two of the best, but no one's perfect. No one has perfect days all the time. It's not possible. Not Big John, not Greg Jackson, not... Giorgio Petrosian, not Floyd, not Connor, the time. And I thought they did a not a great job cornering him, uh, letting him go back out there when he shouldn't have been. He got finished. So there's a real question. Everyone's like, oh, my God, it's going to be another gunslinger. It might. It might. I, I don't know. Um, but I'm going to kind of be watching through my hands a little bit because I have, I'm a little bit worried that Lawler is not necessarily who we think he is. I said a concern, not a declaration. I am not declaring to you. I don't have enough information to declare that. But I have enough to be like, mm, I'm going to temper my enthusiasm a little bit because I want to see how this plays out. There's this guy, um, if you know anything about um, powerlifting and like the YouTube community, he's more than just a YouTube guy. But um, look up the name Dr. Mike Isratel. Uh, it's not spelled, uh, it's, Isratel is spelled a little funky. Uh, how does he spell Isratel? I think he spells it. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, I-S-R-A-E-T-E-L. So it's almost like Israel within T-E-L instead of the L. Um, and he has this concept that he works with. This is how you know, like people are like, overtraining's a myth, bruh. No, it's not. There's something called MRV, maximum recoverable volume. There's a there's an amount you can train in a week, and that can shift over time, of course, as you get in better shape or accustomed to the training. But um, it's maximum recoverable volume. There's an amount you can train in a certain week and still recover from and perform well the next week. Um, and if you go and exceed that, then you will you are overtraining and you will have deleterious uh, effects. And I kind of feel like it's the same with damage in MMA. You know, there's a maximum recoverable volume, and if you get, um, you know, the difference is with training. If you exceed your maximum recoverable volume, you can just slow down. You can get back to it. But in MMA, it's like you don't get that back. You know, there's an amount you can give, and then no more. Um, okay. UFC TV ratings, pay-per-views, and MMA coverage. Hi, Luke. First, let me thanks for all the content loaded every week. You're welcome. Uh, I've given a thumbs up and subscribe to the channels. Well, then you, sir, are a god among men. I appreciate that. All right. I was listening to one of Robin Black's podcasts and videos, and he brought up an interesting point regarding the recent downward trend in UFC TV ratings and pay-per-view sales. He claims that the MMA journalists and connoisseurs are partly to blame as they don't do a good enough work to describe what is actually going on in fights using standard linguistic expressions. The evolution of the game, reach management. MMA analysts and journalists, what do you make from Geneva, Switzerland? I have heard good things about Geneva. 
well, certainly I am a big fan of Robin Black and uh, had him on my show. He's had me on his YouTube channel. I have a lot of very positive things to say about him. I would disagree with my friend here, however. And I do say that because I do consider him a friend. But I would disagree. Um, I don't really believe that you can fundamentally blame journalists. Now, I think what he might be pointing to is something that probably is true, which is it's hilarious. Ten years ago, I was, <laughs> I mean, ten years ago when I was running Bloody Elbow, I was widely considered to be like the most negative guy. And now I've, all my peers have either reached or surpassed me in terms of a lack of enthusiasm. So I think what he might be pointing to is that there is a certain, not really malaise among the fighters, but among the journalists themselves, there is a certain amount of negativity about either whatever issue they're concerned about or uh, the product itself or the state of the sport or something like that. There's disaffection that has spread through wide cross sections of the MMA community. The journalism community uh, is included within that. And I think that can certainly feel like it has a depressive effect. Um, but that's a symptom, not a cause, right? That is a symptom of something that is largely uh, happening beyond their control. Um, if it were true that the MMA media's positivity would fix things, um, then I think you would see that they would try to do it and it would still not work. We can't manufacture interest. I keep trying to tell folks this all the time. It's like, again, watching web metrics was like for years. I don't really do it anymore that much, but watching it for years was one of the most instructive things in the world because people would talk about certain enthusiasms or lack about it about something or so-and-so's a star or so-and-so's not a star and then you would watch their traffic and see to what extent there was a match and those can be very funky ways in which to evaluate someone it's not always that it works out but sometimes it works out in ways where you were very surprised for for years we were told that like for example Gilbert melendez was like this huge star i mean Gilbert melendez is obviously incredibly decorated and talented like lightweight who uh, deserves all the praise in the world for his fighting ability, but there is not a ton of general interest in him uh, competing, and there never really was. Um, if this was true, now that doesn't mean his fight with Diego Sanchez wasn't good, it was amazing. That doesn't mean he's not a good fighter, he's amazing. I'm just saying that there is a lot of times these things we say in the public that the public itself really agrees with by virtue of how they spend their attention dollars. So, um, it, 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 I can understand why a lot of people, because he's not the only one complaining about MMA journalists not, you know, being super gung-ho. You know, being super gung-ho is not necessarily part of their job. And I think that um, it's, just not, it's just really not possible for us to, one way or the other, dictate how this product sells. Um, it, is, it, is, it is what is available to the fans. It is what is being sold to them. It is their general level of enthusiasm, and to some extent, the media can have an influencing factor, particularly in individual cases, but not this grand, sweeping, depressive effect. It's just we don't. Have, I wish we had that kind of power, um, but we don't, unfortunately. John Jones, Luke, have you got any reads into John Jones and his mental well-being or training approach before his forthcoming fight this weekend? Well, that's what this week is about. I'm about to go see him here in about what an hour or so. Um, I'm going to see what he's up to and um, see how he's feeling. I'm going to talk to his coaches this week. Hopefully I'm going to sit down with one or two of them, see how they're doing. So I don't any more than you would at this point, but that's what this week is kind of all about. Now he says, can you expect to see anything different with his fighting style or physique this weekend given such a long layoff? He appears to be in tremendous shape. Um, not that he's ever in bad shape or something, but he appears to be in tremendous shape. So that's good to see. Um, but can you expect to see anything different with his fighting style? 
if he's claiming he's going to get a finish, then there might be a greater urgency, you know, in the fights where certainly the second, well, the brushes for the second. There's been so many of them in terms of attempts. The first Cormier fight, the OSP fight, um, there's been a lot of fights where you felt like he could have stepped on the gas a little bit and didn't. So maybe there'll be some kind of offensive urgency, um, not recklessness, but urgency that wasn't there before. I don't really know. So that I might be looking to see. But in terms of adding of new tools, just use your imagination. I mean, the guy's a quick learner, so he's either been refining his game or he's been adding tools or some combination of the two. That part is very, very hard to predict. But general urgency, if you're, gonna, if you're claiming you're going to put a guy away when you didn't, when you had 25 minutes last time, there is some kind of pace or frequency or some kind of devastation you plan to unload that you didn't before. I feel he is either going to come out and completely smoke Cormier, driven on from two years of anger and frustration, or he may be off the beat and Cormier can get a hold of him and punish him for five rounds. Siding with the option. Siding with option A right now, though. Yeah, I, I don't know that he'll steamroll Cormier. Maybe he does. If he comes out and steamrolls Cormier after all this time off, I mean, that might be your greatest fighter of all time, man. You know, to, to have that lack of, in the more recent years, competitive experience all this time off, and all it did was turn you into a, a goddamn killer. That would be very, very scary. And you know, against I mean, what's 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 what what makes UFC 214 so important and so magical? It's number one, uh, it's a rematch. Uh, it's a rematch of a of a heated rivalry. Uh, it's a rematch of a heated rivalry in the UFC's historically marquee weight class. It is as much um, for. Pound for pound, one versus two, and it has incredible storylines for both guys about redemption or ultimate validation. I mean, this fight has everything you could possibly want. It just, it's not missing anything, you know. Uh, maybe you could have more of the same things that it already has, but there's not some deep component that's not there. It's all there, man. It's all there. It's pretty wild. Let's see. Hi, Luke. Where did this Jones versus Lesnar conversation exactly start from? How likely is it going to be that they fight each other at MSG if Jones loses to DC? If Jones loses to DC if Jones beats DC. Um, also, do you know if Kelvin Gastelum has any other issues other than eating to reduce his body fat and becoming a lean welterweight? I don't know if there are any other ones, no. So I cannot say that. Um, he just simply, I think, has some lifestyle management issues to uh, address. Now, the first one, Lesnar versus Jones. I would not be surprised if that was something the UFC was internally floating. Trying to get that out there. And someone says, Jones versus Lesnar is fake news. It's fake news for right now. But I have a hunch that that is something the UFC wants to do. Call me crazy. Um, whether they can, whether they can do it, debatable. Whether they will do it, perhaps even more debatable. But do I think that's something that they want to do internally, and they've probably discussed, and they might be putting out some feelers out there? Yes. I don't. This didn't come from nowhere. All right. Okay, this is good, actually. UFC two fourteen, true false. All right, here we go. Do I have a name on my bottle today? Nah. 
Uh, DC takes Jones down within the first two rounds. Sure. True. DC Jones goes to decision. Ooh. False. How about that? Maya gets Woodley's back in the first round. True. Woodley Maya ends with a finish. True. Evinger makes it past the second round. Ooh. False. Cyborg's post-fight interview with Rogan gets awkward. <laughs> Manawa finishes Ozdemir. False. If Lawler gets knocked out, he retires. Probably true. Lamas Knight is fight of the night. It's your sleeper fight of the night. I'll put it that way. So I'll say true, but with a caveat. Sterling Burrell goes to a decision. True. Ortega wins by submission. Against Hanato Moicano, false. Following the publicity of the Maymac tour, curious boxing casual fans will buy this pay-per-view. True. The pay-per-view this weekend does over one million buys. False. This shit after Ariel asked him a question at one of the pressers. False. You will be doing an on-the-road MMA beat tomorrow. I don't know, actually. I hope. I'm available, I think. Uh, we'll see. Yoel shows up in Anaheim, double legs, Bisping, falls. Wouldn't that be something, though? Floyd at the press conference. Hey, Luke, do you remember at the Brooklyn press conference, Floyd said something about saving something, an insult, for the London press conference in relation to Connor and women? We never ended up hearing anything like that at the London press conference. Uh, then he asked for a bag at one stage and a stage, and it never came. Do you know what that's about? I have no clue. God, can we please forget that night in Brooklyn? That was such a terrible day. Uh, Cerrone versus Lawler. Luke, who do you think wins this dream fight? If Lawler is not as shopworn as my concerns have stated or you know hinted at, then I think Lawler wins. But I really think it depends on who's taking more damage at this point because Lawler probably is the more think um, not quite as frequent but perhaps more devastating striker and I think he's able to like nullify a lot of the tricks of Cerrone but I just don't know man I really don't know I don't know who has taken so much damage um, I'm gonna wreck this question Ramzan Kadyrov and Weidman first off thanks for highlighting that story on your Sirius XM Rush show by getting Kareem and David on your show. You're welcome. Why did no media member ask Chris Wyman about his ties with Kadyrov? They did. Ariel asked him on Monday about it. Now, whether or not you find his answer satisfying, Wyman, is a different matter. But, in fact, Ariel did ask him about it. So, please go check that out. Interesting question. Good question, man. People dismiss this one, but I think this is a good one. Tyron doing media. What do you think about Woodley working on Fox? Being on Sway. Media last week instead of training. Now, I don't think it was instead of training. It's in addition to training. It seems alarming he wasn't in the gym for at least a few days in his last week in an already short training camp. Now, first of all, again... Someone says, dude, there are 24 hours in a day. If you think Tyron Woodley wasn't in a gym training the week beforehand, 
Um, you are mistaken. Yeah, that's true. There's no way he wasn't training. There's just no way. He was absolutely training. Okay. Uh, the question is, what kind of training was he getting? And did it really make sense to take more time away from camp to travel, change time zones, and to go do all those kinds of things? Because remember, Sway in the morning is in New York, unless they did something I don't know about. Uh, and that was L.A. for that Fox thing. Or no, where was that Fox thing? Uh, oh, yeah, it was in New York as well. So I guess it was all kind of the same. Um, but still, where was he? Florida or his home in St. Louis, whatever part of the tour he was on. Um, that, it, 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 I'll see Dean this week. I'm going to talk to him about it as well. Dean Thomas, of course, is going to be cornering him. And Dean was like, you know, it's not like he's out there training with the Chargers or the Giants or something, you know. He's not hitting pads with them. Okay, so you're not overtraining, and you could probably still get to a gym. But is that really advisable? How advisable is that? And the other component here is, though, you could say, well, Luke, I mean, if he's not ready by the Chris Weidman fight to fight Demi and Maya, then he's, you know, what difference does it make? There's that as well, too, right? Like, if you need two more training days, um, and that's going to be the difference whether you win or you lose, lose so I think he's pretty comfortable with the amount of work he put in you know these guys know their bodies they know what they can do they know what they can get away with now here's the only interesting factor about this beyond the question itself and what kind of training he actually got there and whether or not that was advisable I've seen a lot of people I've seen, I've seen this everywhere and they have said Maya doesn't stand a chance against Tyron Woodley okay let me just say this in any kind of contest, particularly when there's a giant contrast in styles, which is what you have here a little bit, it's it's perfectly reasonable to conclude that there is one predominant way that this might go. So if you're asking me, Luke, do I, or if you're asking me, do I think, is that a reasonable conclusion? To, it's a very reasonable conclusion to draw that, in fact, Woodley is a bad matchup for him and that it will go the way that many people say it will go. I'm not here to say that that is wrong. But in your mind to it, there might be a couple of reasonable possibilities. And in MMA, often what we consider to be unreasonable possibilities make themselves quite apparent. And this notion that like Demi Maya has no shot against him, I'm I would really strongly caution against that. I would I find that to be a little bit perplexing, if I'm being honest with you guys here, just a little bit. Um, I think Demi Maya has a chance because I do think those concerns that people have echoed about. You know, Woodley being a hard hitter, going on ground and pound. Uh, situations can be hard, if not possible, to take down. Um, these are all quite reasonable things. However, the major issue is that Maya's takedowns, they don't exist anywhere else. They don't, they don't exist. He, he can find the back of anybody. He has shown he, if he wants to take your back, he can take it. You know, if you went and fought Anderson Silva again, I don't know what would happen exactly, but um, I'm my favorite Demian at this point. You know, since he has reformed his game and dropped to welterweight, he has shown an ability to find the back everywhere, everywhere. And I keep talking about it. Matt Brown is not Tyron Woodley. You know, they're different fighters. They have different skill sets, different strengths, different kinds of balance, and everything else. How did he take down Matt Brown? 
He pulled Matt Brown into mount on top of him. You know, I mean, what? This is completely different level of ability and totally unique and absolutely X-Factor-ish kind of stuff that is borderline impossible to train for. Now, it turned out that I think BJJ Scout, shouts to BJJ Scout, who did a really good job showing that um, while Masvidal didn't beat Maya, he did show that you, there, there was a lot of ways that his team had clearly done a really good job prepping him. So there's that, okay? But um, I just feel like everyone's like, Maya's got no chance. All right, if you're picking Woodley, look, fine. Not going to argue against it. Not going to argue against it at all. But I think we should probably give, you know, this we're giving pretty short shrift to this notion that this guy who has the ability to find the backs of good wrestlers and elite black belts, you know, he can't, he can't get, he can't put himself in a position to win a couple of rounds or something. People are acting like Woodley's just going to steamroll him. Maybe, maybe he does, but I would be a little bit more cautious about that. That one seems to me a little bit more debatable. Hey, whew, pardon me. It's still early here. Early, it's 10.45 in the morning. Jesus Christ. Uh, back training with the right people to get wins. Luke, Chris Weidman got back on track while defeating Gastelum in a very risky fight. You indicated in your post-fight chat that you thought Weidman had found success going back to his roots by relying on his grappling. In the past, Weidman had worked with Mark Henry during camp. While I know that Henry is a great trainer, is it possible that Weidman working with him changed his strategy in a negative way? Is having Dan Hearn in his corner indicate that Weidman had rediscovered his effective strategy for the Octagon? To clarify, I probably should have added, I realize his main coaches have always been Sarah and Longo. And Dan Hur as well. Dan Hur is one of Henzo's guys. Now, whether Dan Hur has cornered him at all these different cross-sections, I don't know. But if you've got a size advantage over someone, I mean, if you're naturally a striker, then I think you probably want to go that route. But Chris is not naturally a striker. He is naturally a wrestle grappler. And if you have that ability to use that kind of way to fight someone, you know, it could just be a fight adjustment that he made for this particular context. And look, Maybe him and Mark Henry didn't work out, but that doesn't mean Mark Henry's a bad trainer or that Chris Weidman's not a good student. It could just be that whatever Henry was trying to give him, optimally, that wasn't the best way to go for him. Um, and it could be that some sort of pivot back to grappling, at least for this contest, made a little bit more sense. So um, it could be. It could be that whatever he was getting with Mark Henry ultimately was not enough or not the right kind of thing. But that wouldn't necessarily say bad things about Mark Henry. It would just say that that relationship had run its course. Uh, UFC men's division in the best, worst shape. Luke, which of men's divisions do you think are in the worst shape right now? Got to be light heavyweight. Got to be light heavyweight. Middleweight's in a bit of a rough spot, but not like ravaged. Uh Free agency, early retirements, Bader, Davis, Rumble, DC is 38 and could retire. Jones, personal problems make him a bit of a wild card. Flyweight, DJ is not an especially popular champion. He's effectively cleaned out most of the division. Yeah, but that one's growing. From a business perspective, UFC has explored the idea of shutting down this division completely. That's bad. On the flip side, which division do you think is doing awesome right now and likely to stay that way? Bantamweight? Bantamweight and lightweight. Man, lightweight is my personal favorite. That's the best combination of hard hitters 
good wrestlers, great stamina. You know, you can really put somebody. You can you can make somebody on a lightweight bantamweight too. I guess we'll see. But you know, let me know when a bantamweight guy sells a million on pay per view. You know, in in UFC. UFC 214 is to the level UFC 200 should have been last year. True, false. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but I think you mean like, was the card, is the card good enough? Sure. I'm not sure exactly what you're asking. UFC 214 is to the level. UFC 2 here. I guess so. Your favorite flavor of ice cream, coffee. And why wouldn't Jones face the heavyweight champion Stipe instead of Brock Lesnar? Um, because the Brock Lesnar fight would sell significantly more pay-per-views and would actually be a bit of an easier fight, which would aid his entrance into that division. Plus, if Lesnar's going to get maybe one or two more fights, whatever star power he's got left, give it to Jones. He still has some time left in the sport. MMA fighting has released numbers for the most recent pay-per-views, and they are pretty terrible. 13 supposedly did between 125 and 150K. The Bellator NYC reportedly did in the neighborhood of 90 to 130K. The Bellator numbers are maybe not surprising. They're not surprising. But the fact that it's late July and the UFC hasn't had a single show review success is a bit alarming. Yes, it is. Do you think UFC 214 will buck them? Say by getting 700,000 buys, no. What should promotions be doing differently to pump up their pay-per-view numbers? I have a few ideas about this. I don't know how correct any of them are, but um, part of me feels like, I'm not blaming it for it. I mean, it is, to, to borrow the phrase, it is what it is. I feel like McGregor and Mayweather are just sucking the air out of everything, you know, fight-related. It's just hard to stand out because all anyone ever wants to talk about is that, you know. Here this weekend, man, this card this weekend is, man, I've been accused of being a UFC hater at times in my career, and maybe I have been at times in my career, not explicitly, but certainly by default. Uh, this card this weekend is, I mean, it's an A+. plus. It's an A-plus card. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, and the fight at the top of the card might be the best fight that MMA can even reasonably offer. Not the biggest fight necessarily, but the best. I guess we'll have to see how it all plays out in the end. But as I mentioned, it's got every ingredient you could possibly want. And um, so it's not it's not entirely um, a quality issue, but I'm not getting – I don't see a ton of evidence uh, anecdotally that this is going to blow the doors off anything. Um, look, for example, look at this chat right now. Here, I'll pull the, peel back the curtain a little bit. Right now, there are 200, as I speak to you now, 2,300 concurrent viewers. For a big fight week, for like a really big one, you know, we're talking five to seven hundred thousand, maybe more. Um, that's going to easily be above three thousand concurrent viewers, maybe thirty-four, thirty-five hundred at times. If you're talking about something really big, really big, um, and it's not. And so you might say, "Well, Luke, is that a failure of me?" If you want to, you can say it's a failure of me. But these chats, the the MMA analysts, 
Um, I've not looked at Ariel's numbers, so I can't say, but I wonder even there if there's some kind of overlap between the general enthusiasm around an event and your I, my podcasts on this on this channel, Monday Morning Analyst and this one, both reactive and um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, so it takes place before they revolve around event enthusiasm. So if there's high event enthusiasm, I do higher numbers. If there's low event enthusiasm, I do lower numbers. There's some variance there depending on what kind of argument I make. If I set people's hair on fire or make them laugh or if it's a yellow mustard rant, right? There, there could be variances in there, but it's heavily tied to um, event enthusiasm. And right now it's at 2,300. That's good. That's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. But that is, that is not a strong indicator that there's a ton of... Um, high level enthusiasm for it. And they may say, well, look, you have to look at more than just your live chat. And of course that is true. It's a lot more things than that. And by the time Friday rolls around after today's weigh-in, or I'm sorry, weigh-ins, um, face-offs and press conference, maybe we'll feel a little bit differently. But I feel like um, people are being like, this one needs to do a million buys. It's not going to come close. People are like, this needs to do 700,000 buys. It's not going to come close. I think it'd be, uh, abs given, given what I'm seeing anecdotally, uh, It'd be a miracle if it cleared five hundred thousand. I think over and that would be a home run. I think what you're looking at somewhere between three and four, maybe above four. Right? I think that's what you're looking at. You might say, "Well, wasn't their first fight over eight hundred thousand? Yeah, yeah." Um, I think a lot of what happened is um, number one, there's just not as many stars as there once was, and that can be cyclical, right? You know, Conor and Ronda come around along the same time. So then you're like, wow, you know, what do you do with this? You just ride the wave where you're just constantly doing these major events. That's one way that things like this can happen. And then the opposite is they both leave or you know, Connor's doing his boxing thing. Um, and so there's they just there's just not that same kind of thing before. But I've I've talked about this. I think there's a few issues. One, Connor uh, and um, Floyd are just sucking the air out of everything. I think two, there's a little bit of fatigue with this fight on 214. I mean, if we're saying thing, it has everything you want. It has something that you don't want, which is that this is the fifth time they've tried to make it. What could they possibly say to each other at any point that could top what they've already said? Are you there, pussy? You know, and shoving each other in the throat, and you know, uh, they, they've said everything they could possibly say. In that sense, I don't expect anything new out of the uh, presser today. I'm more curious to watch it to see the face-offs, but um, so there's that. And I just think generally we have, you know, and Jones should be an upper tier star, but, you know, has absolutely jacked up his career to this point. So that's another problem. Um, but generally what I think the major issue is that, too, I think the brand erosion of UFC, you know, I made these arguments for years about the UFC doing too many shows and having too many masters to serve. You have to serve the ultimate fighter, and now you have to serve all these Fox shows and, and FS1 shows and, um, it's just too much content that the brand can't reasonably carry, and I think that this guarantor, the seal, this UFC seal of quality has been badly eroded. At UFC 108, I believe, um, I think that UFC 108, I think, was Evans versus Silva. It was widely considered that the floor on pay-per-views back then was 300,000. Now it is less than half that. That is just brand erosion. That is straight-up brand erosion. There's no other two ways to put it. Um, I think another component is that we talked about this last weekend with UFC on Fox 25. The other part is that if you're a casual fan and you watch UFC casually, um, you get a ton of free content. There's so much free content, live free content 
on Fox Sports 1, on Fox. There's a gazillion rerun shows. I, I switched to YouTube TV. I didn't even realize how many rerun shows were on FS2 because now in my lineup of channels on YouTube TV, F FS2 is just featured more prominently in the rolldown. Um, and, oh, my God, and FS1, too. Oh, my God, they run so much. UFC Rewind, UFC Classics. Like, there's so many shows that they run. You just get a lot of free stuff. Plus, piracy, of course, is an issue as well. So I actually think that has made it harder to pivot to pay-per-view because if you're casually interested and you can casually scratch your itch with all this free content, it takes something really special to go to pay-per-view. We've lost that star that can go, not to a million necessarily, but reliably between five to 750 to 800,000, this sort of upper middle class pay-per-view star. And how you get that back, I don't know. I don't know. Can you get it back? Is Are we living in a time where... Um, pay-per-view is down because pay-per-view has fundamentally shifted or because the cyclical nature of star making and star appearances makes us think that way because we are at, at such a dearth of uh, talent in that regard. Uh, it could be that as well. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of interesting factors and I don't know how it's all going to play out, but what I would say is I think if you're expecting 700,000 buys for UFC 214, because it's a good card and the main event's got people that they care about. So I, I think you are grossly overestimating how this is going to do. I mean, it would be great. I mean, if this is 700,000, that would be an absolute. Look, 400,000 would be good. 500,000 to me would be very good. Very good, considering the current climate. Um, but I guess we'll see. So, in saying all of that, do you now understand why the UFC wants to do Lesnar versus Jones? Makes sense, doesn't it? Luke, with the possibility of Frankie joining the list of champions in multiple weight classes, do you think there's a difference in difficulty between BJ, Randy, Connor, and possibly Frankie? based on weight classes they won their belts in. So BJ did it in lightweight and welterweight. Randy did it in heavyweight, light heavyweight, and Connor did it in featherweight and lightweight. And Frankie will have done it the same, if in fact that happens. Of course, they did it in different eras, and they did it against certain guys. BJ's is probably uh, the flukiest of them because of the way his welterweight win worked. Randy competed against, you know, a t the light heavyweights he competed against were very good, but the heavyweights, you know, and he competed against good heavyweights too, but, um, you know, the era was not necessarily producing the most amazing talent relative to today's. And Connors was pretty good. That run through featherweight was very impressive, but at lightweight, the resume feels a little bit, uh, you know, Eddie Alvarez win is a good one, but that's the only one he's got, so at least in the UFC. So, um, so Frankie would have a pretty would have a pretty strong resume relative to all those guys. Um, I'd put him ahead of BJ and Randy, as a matter of fact. And it would be sort of neck and neck between him and Connor, depending on how you want to weigh that out. The thing about BJ and Connor is that they got these fights, I won't say gifted to them, because that's not fair to either them or their opponents, and they beat ridiculously good guys, you know. Matt Hughes was on top of the world when BJ choked him out, right? So that was crazy. And then uh, 
and then Connor just absolutely manhandled Eddie Alvarez. Like these are legitimate wins, man. It's just that because of who they were, they got you know pushed to the front of the line relatively quickly. Frankie has had his moments. Don't miss it. And Frankie is not some you know is not some blue collar guy who just can't get a fair shake in life. But he's also had to spend a little bit more time in the trenches. I feel like. Um, to get a chance. So that, as a consequence, I think has somewhat, to some degree, burnished his resume. Uh, hands clasped around the torso. Hi, Luke. I was wondering if you could elaborate on some of the comments you made on the last edition of the Monday Morning Analyst in regards to having the hands clasped around the torso. Sounds like you were lamenting that this might not be good for MMA. You're right. Uh, due to the dominance of the position, I would appreciate it if you could expand on this a little. Thank you for the awesome work. Um, and it says a bunch of nice things. So thank you for that. Okay, so this is my point. And you saw this in Gastelum versus Weidman. You saw this to a, to a lesser, or actually not even to a lesser degree, to another degree in Yo Yoel versus uh, uh, Whitaker. Joel. Right. This is a powerful grip. This is a gable grip. This is, if you guys know what a gable grip is, take your hands like this, rotate them, and then collapse over the thumb. Right, and in this case, over the blade of the hand, it's a gable grip. Yeah, uh, you can get a C grip. You know, oh, this is a blade of the hand grip. This is not a very powerful grip because the fingers can slip. This is a mutually reinforcing grip. Right, I'm reinforcing the blade of the hand and I'm going over the top. This is mutually reinforcing. That's why in weightlifting, the famous new—not well, new, but the famous grip everyone uses—is the hook grip. And you put the pad on the bar and then the fingers go over the bar because if you grip the bar this way. And then the thumb comes over the fingers. It's the thumb can't really hold all of them in place. But if the fingers can hold the thumb, and you don't quite do it like that because that would be on the side. You actually want to do it on the pad. It's much more strong. So this is a mutually reinforcing grip, right? So is this, but it's a little bit harder to come by because it's so so tenuous. In collegiate wrestling, the referee's position: if I try to take someone out of bounds or take someone down out of bounds, they might restart us in the middle, and they might restart us in something called referee's position where I have to be, or you have to be on your hands and knees and the other hands out front, right? So both knees touching, both hands on the mat. The man behind you has to put one hand around your waist and then one hand behind the elbow. When the hand goes behind the elbow, referee hits the whistle, right? And you wrestle. Um, I think it used to be the case, but whatever the case is now, in that referee's position, and there are, it's more than merely just a referee's position, but there are other ones as well. You cannot lock your hands. You can't lock your hands. And the reason why you can't lock your hands is because if they allow that much hand locking in those kinds of vulnerable positions versus around the waist and behind the elbow, it would make for wrestling to be a lot more than it would just be a lot more mat wrestling because it'd be very, very hard to break that. Um, they don't allow you to put you to lock your hands in certain scenarios because it would just leave guys on the mat rather than. It creates action when you go around the waist and that because then if they stand, well then you can go to you can lock your hands, right? But there are certain moments where collegiate wrestling creates more action and more wrestling and more dynamic movement by virtue of not allowing locked hands in this gable grip scenario, yeah. Um, and what you see in MMA is of course no concern for that whatsoever. If someone is, if God takes, if I pick someone up, ah, and then I dump them on the mat, and they put their hands down, and they're literally in referee's position, hands on the mat, knees on the mat, toes on the mat. 
shoes to wrestle her either. Consider that as well. Uh, I can just put, I can lock my hands behind them. And so what you see is that it makes it really, really hard for guys like Gastelum and for Whitaker. And Whitaker was able to crawl to the fence and, you know, get an elbow in and wedge it out um, and turn and, and, and whatever. But you could see, like, it's a hard thing to break. And same thing for Gastelum, except greater submission threat than Yoel. You know, Yoel could get behind you with a tight waist. What's he going to do? He might take you down again. He might whip around the side. He might broomstick you out. Like, But he's not much of a submission threat. Mm. Weidman's a submission threat from the back like that, very much so. In fact, that's how he set it all up, was finding those ride positions, getting a hand through for the head and arm triangle, and then closing the show. So my point being is, we always talk about stalling in MMA as what? If we're at 50-50, I've got an underhook and I've got an overhook and we're on the fence and neither of us are doing anything. Separate, yeah? Something like that. Or Cormier versus Silva. I know you all don't think that. Some people don't understand or don't agree that Anderson Silva was stalling. He was stalling so bad in that Cormier fight. Hitting a lockdown and then just doing bicep control to ride out somebody is stalling. You're stalling, okay? Or if I take you down, I don't pass guard stalling um i think that there are i'm not suggesting that we need to adopt i'm not suggesting that we need to adopt exact rule sets from collegiate wrestling to incentivize action however what i am suggesting to you is are there other ways we should consider things to be stalling you know if you've got a tight waist on someone and they're just getting up and walking to the fence and you're not doing anything with it for an extended period of time whatever that may be should you be separated in those cases? Now, if you have the hooks in, that's a little bit different. But what if you don't have the hooks in? You're just tight wasting. And folks have said there are ways to get to break their hands. Of course there are. There are techniques to get an underhook. Of course they are. It, it it's not a, it's not a matter of once I lock the hands, there's nothing you can do. Well, of course, a very very good wrestler is going to be able to break the hands. And in fact, if you want to look at somebody who's the, I mean, tell me about those 13 seconds against Connor because you know, good on Connor for changing his career but i think a lot of fans just don't want to appreciate like how good jose jose aldo is the best guy if he's in referee's position to absolutely make whoever's trying to keep him there look like a fool he is so good at that he will break your hands so quickly he'll get his hips forward his weight back and he breaks the hands i mean like that you like you have nothing he is the best guy in all of mma from referee's position period he is a master of it, and people, folks just don't realize this, you know, because he got he got crushed in 13 seconds. Um, you don't. There's. I think there's additional levels of thinking about this that we have not done. You know, MMA finishes have plateaued. What can we do to get that back up again? What What can we do to tinker with the rule sets a little bit? What can we do about, um, you know, just thinking through creative ways to incentivize action? Part of the way wrestling has saved itself from Olympic. Uh, elimination is that they changed not merely well they I mean in some ways they got rid of weight classes and you know added some to the women's side of the game but the point being is they changed their rules and scoring a little bit so now these guys are just high octane scoring and it makes freestyle wrestling so much better to watch you know I understand that we have enshrined our rule sets with government bureaucrats to lord over and manage which makes any kind of change difficult if not impossible to come by but i think what i'm suggesting is you know we get a lot of stall positions all of them we get a lot of positions where there's not a lot happening and we're not doing a whole lot about it 
And I'm wondering if there's a way to maybe improve that. And the locked hand scenario is just one of those things. Dustin Poirier. Hi, Luke. Listening to Dustin on the MMA Hour on Monday, he sounds really pissed with the UFC for not giving him a rematch. It went on about how much money it cost him. 55K win bonus, 50K fire the night, extra to come from beating a once-removed champion, potential TV show with Gaethje. He is totally right. Uh, could you shed some light on why the UFC would not give him a rematch? I have to talk to the UFC. I don't know. I've talked about why they picked Gaethje in part and, um, and Eddie, but uh, you know, Eddie's the former champ. Um, it would be a great fight. You know, he can get back to work within five months for J Justin Gaethje. If he wins, he gets to say he'd be the former champ. Like, it's a big win. It, I, I get why they picked it. He mentioned Pettis next. Would you like to see that? Sure. I think one of Kiesa, Iaquinta, or Pettis would make for a fun fight. All of those would be good. All of those would be good. They'd be great. So it says, did you hear about Junior Albini's Toy Story? Did you cry? Your boy got a little got a little creeper. Got a little creeper in the eye on that one, man. That was sometimes you forget, man. Some of these guys come from nothing. They come from nothing, you know. What's the deal on the new shirts? Here's how this is gonna work. Um, I'm here this week, then I'm home, then I'm going to Mayweather McGregor, then I'm home, then I'm gonna go to Triple G Canelo on what, September 16th? And I fly to Columbia for vacation for two weeks after that. So after all of that, so let's say uh, October. Sorry, guys. I'm just, I don't, I don't have any spare time to work on that at all. But they will, be, they will happen. They will happen. Andrade versus Gedalia. Yeah, I heard about this. Look, there was a story about Claudia Gedalia and Jessica Andrade agreeing to fight each other. My question is, where would you play such a fight? Would you put it on a pay-per-view card? No, I'd probably put it in Brazil. Fox, FS1, yeah, FS1 or Fox, somewhere like that. Uh, in Brazil, for sure. Coaches make for being on the show. I don't know. I'll try to find, you know, maybe, maybe make a note about that. Payment for... Oh, this just came through my email. Presents an event of Bellator's biggest event ever. Bellator NYC, Friday, July 28, 9 p.m. So there you go. If you missed the first one, you can watch it on Spike. Ooh, over under 5 mil pay-per-view buys for Mayweather McGregor. I'll say over. Not confidently, but I'll say over. So this is five mil. Maybe it does half. Oh, it does a lot more than two and a half mil. And that would be an incredible achievement, you know. How many pay-per-views have my initial thought when they first announced it was that I thought people would be so cynical and so not believers that uh, it'd be somewhere between Mayweather Canelo, what, 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 2 2, 2 4, something like that. And then Mayweather Pacquiao, so 4 4, something like that, 4 6. So somewhere in that range, 3 3 and a half, you know. Uh, and now it's like, I don't know. I don't really know. But I would not be the least bit surprised if it beats, if it, beats it. 
basic question. Um, I have a couple questions about the title fights matchmaking for the second half of 2017. And I was wondering, how would you matchmake the title fights if you were the president? Okay, well, I'm definitely not. Um, Steve Bay so Steve Bay got contract issues. What would you do? Resolve them immediately and match them up against Kane or Overeem. Would you wait a little bit and look up Nganu or wait and you know, look what Nganu does against JDS? I'd probably try to match him against Kane. This thing, uh, I'd probably do GSP at this point just because I don't think you, I mean, how do you give Wyman a title shot? But how do you give GSP a title shot? You know, I don't know. Um, interim lightweight title. I was still trying to do Tony and. Habib, Cody, Max, Joanna. It's quite obvious. TJ, Edgar, and Rose are next. What? It's your lucky day, Luke. The Maymac fight is done. The circus is done. And McGregor calls you up for another red panty night. New Year's Eve. Who would you match up against? Interim champ or Nate Diaz? Well, if the interim champ is ready, I think you have to do that. But otherwise, definitely Nate Diaz. Definitely, definitely, definitely Nate Diaz. Let's buy Luke a new chair. Hi, everyone. Luke, at 3410 of last week's live chat, you told us to, quote, buy me a new chair, y'all. I wasn't being serious. Let's get him one. I set up a Go... Did you really? I set up a GoFundMe, <laughs> and I set the goal to the price of a somewhat really nice chair unless you have a better recommendation for a chair. And literally, I'm not kidding. This is the URL. This is hilarious. GoFundMe.com, of course. Luke Thomas at, well, Luke dash Thomas asked dash for, Luke Thomas asked for a chair, basically. But there's dashes in between all the words. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do that. If you did it, I would certainly use it. Don't get me wrong. I would definitely not turn that away. Uh, but uh, I was being facetious. But hey. I'll take a new chair. Very nice of you. It's very, very nice of you. A little bit overboard, but very, very nice of you. I really appreciate that. And someone goes, what the F? He gets paid. Why does he need a handout from the viewers? This is ridiculous. You're the man, Luke, but this is a bit much. I didn't set it up. This guy set it up. This nice gentleman. Don't get mad at me. All right, it is uh, basically 2 or 11.15 here on the West Coast, but 2.15 on uh, the East Coast, which means it is time to go to the Twitter, Twitter machine. At uh, L. Thomas News, if you want to ask me a question, use the hashtag chat rappers as well. So Mark from Monday is reporting the ABC has passed four new weight classes for MMA, 165, 175, 195, and 225 MMA fighting. I can get down with a few of those, but the 225, no thanks. What percentage of the old Jones can show up and beat DC? I don't know what that means. What do you think of Ferguson's claim that Habib turned down a fight with him in, at UFC 216 in October? 
Uh, hard to say. I mean, I'm sure it might be true, but you know, what were the reasons? Not enough money or circumstances that are, you know, this guy's still doing it. Follow Habib. Habib just goes around to a bunch of places where him and none of his friends smile uh, on Instagram, but he's like touring all over these parts of, um, um, you know, parts of a Muslim and old Soviet state diaspora. Uh, and he's doing tours and stuff. So I don't know if he's ready. Initial thoughts on the Gedalia versus Andrade fight. Gedalia has the advantage. You've mentioned yellow mustard before. What other condiments are just as bad? Uh, just as bad, I don't know, but certainly A1. A1 is like, man, you might as well just be eating banana peels and cigarette butts if you feel like A1 is a good thing. I've seen people put A1 on burgers. I guess I could live with that, but A1 on steaks? Oh, my God. Just defenestrate yourself. Have you seen Dunkirk yet? I have not. And if so, what'd you think of it? I've seen good things. I saw some people saying though that it was it's a bit overrated, but I have not seen it. I have not seen it. Have you ever had a successful routine including powerlifting and BJJ without getting burnt out? No. No, I have not. But Dr. Mike Isretel has a new video about balancing how to have BJJ and powerlifting and how to make them work together. Uh, check out his video. It's on uh, Renaissance Periodization. It's the name of the channel and the company. Any update on Miles' jury? He looked good in his return fight, but I've heard no upcoming news since then. These people don't want to talk. I have tried. They don't want to talk. What powerlifting routine do you recommend for low intermediate level? Well, you should ask an expert, not me. Have you done the Wendler 531? No, I was looking at the 531. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that last night, but no. Um, all the programs I've done have been customized. Customized. Someone says, there will never be a black superstar in the UFC because they don't know how to market to the black community. False. They don't know how to market to the black community, but I don't believe that there won't be a black superstar. I don't buy that. How crazy is it that in all the fights between Jones, DC, Gus, DC came in the came last in the takedown battles and Gus came top. A little surprising. But MMA is like that, man, where things don't mean the same things, you know. How did you score the first round of Weidman versus Gastelum? I thought because Gastelum knocked him down, he uh, stole the round. Have you seen anything that suggests Cormier has made valuable adjustments for this fight? No. Just to say he hasn't, but you asked me, have I seen? No. Whose opinion would you consider most valuable on May Mac? Do pure boxing experts have the biggest insight? Yes. But this is one of the things that was really interesting to me, and I brought this up before. People were giving me a bunch of names that did not fit the bill. Um, I said there's almost no one on earth who is both an MMA and boxing expert. And people were like, yeah, there's this guy, there's that guy. Well, no. Let me understand what I, understand what I mean when I say boxing or MMA expert. Somebody, uh, somebody who understands not merely the technical intricacies of fighting itself inside the ring, but knows boxing history, knows the players involved, 
understands the market, under, knows the history of pay-per-view buys, somebody who has a comprehensive understanding of it, right? They really have a good, clear grasp on soup to nuts, all the things involved. Same thing goes for MMA. Now, how many people can say they know a lot about both in that sense? I'm sure there are some, but there are very, very few. Worlds are very distinct. Uh, well, but whatever. The reality is very distinct. And so uh, I don't think there's a lot of people who know both. I really don't. Um, there's just not a ton of expertise both ways. The only reason why the boxing experts might have more of an insight is because we're doing it on their terms. It is, after all, a boxing fight. And I think a lot of MMA, I had an MMA fan reach out to me being like, isn't it true that MMA fighters train to punch harder? No. Um, that's not true at all. I don't, I, there, there's a, no evidence to suggest that would in any way ever be true. Um, but people believe some of this stuff because, uh, you know, we, we all have our own set of biases. So my point is, um, I would listen to more of the boxing experts than I would the MMA experts, but the problem is the boxing experts clearly don't either about who he is in terms of character or what he's really done or really why he fights a certain way and what that all means. So there's just a lot of the blind leading the blind here, which is quite terrible to see. All right, let's look at some more of these. Can you provide thoughts on Twitter etiquette as far as questions and comments? No, just ask a good one. I will try to get to it. Seen Robin Black's discussions on May Mac. I've not seen it yet, man. I'm so behind. Thoughts on Snoopcast? I love it. I know everyone has a, you know, hard on for hating on it, but I don't. I think it's great. And you know what's hilarious is everyone is like, oh my god, <laughs> not everyone, some people. Are like, oh my God, Snoop is so disrespectful. He's so disrespectful to these fighters. They're out there risking it all. They're out there putting it on the line. Da, 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 da. And it's like, oh my God, you mean to tell me you and your friends, when you are at home, you don't say occasionally, if not frequently, incredibly disparaging things? Stop fronting. Just stop fronting. It's just a bad look. All you guys know when you watch fights with your friends. You yell and scream and curse and you're drinking and you might be smoking weed like they are and you're saying F this guy and I love this guy and F that person and I love this person and this person's a loser and he's a You have a certain freedom about your living room that allows you to say certain things that you would never say in other kinds of public company. And I'm not suggesting that Faber and Snoop have recreated your living room. I mean, it's a former fighter hall of famer and, you know, a legendary hip hop artist, but at the same time, they're trying to recreate some of that uh, camaraderie that happens when you're out there just drinking, smoking, eating, watching fights. Um, and I think it's actually a more honest way, almost. You know, I, I'm not. I'm glad it's not the way to watch it. The way to watch it should be done professionally. But having a little bit of unprofessionalism is okay. It's okay, man. There's we 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 have a real hard time being honest with each other in this community. And even if it's just in jest, um, I think we should do more of it. Yeah? Yeah. 
Any thoughts on the Ryzen card this weekend? I have literally not even looked at it one time. If McGregor goes to welterweight, what are his chances against Woodley or even at middleweight against Bisping or Whitaker? Not great. That's where I think size matters. Who has the most overrated resume in the UFC? Some might say BJ Penn. I would not, but some I've, I've seen that argument floated pretty strongly. Um, who has who is the most complete fighter in each division? Jesus, I'm not kidding. I, everyone's like, who is the be the best rival to Joey Chestnut in women's strawweight? I'm like, how the how do I know this? I don't know this. Um. Lesnar versus Jones or Cormier? Jones. That's what I want to see anyway. GSP versus Woodley. Thoughts on these ideas? Um, sure. Why doesn't the UFC promote Champ Camp? Because it's not theirs. It's his. The whole point of doing Champ Camp is so that you can promote yourself. Don't expect them to get on board with it. Has there ever been a more important fight for both fighters' legacy as Jones-Cormier? Not for themselves, no. This is the most important fight for both of them. I'm trying to think of another one where we really came down to it. I don't know, man. This is up there with some of the most critical, for sure. I'm a Barcelona fan. Sorry to hear that. Don't you think it's best for Barcelona to let Neymar go for that price before it drops? Uh... I just want to see him go because I think it'd make us winning the chances of La Liga again. And I say us, like I have anything to do with the team. But, you know, make the chances of Real winning a lot higher. Would you recommend Facebook or YouTube for video content? Getting more views for Facebook but hard to monetize, I'm told. Um, I'd recommend both and having individual strategies for each of them because Facebook might come around to the point where they begin to monetize and you don't want to be on the outside looking in. You actually want to be uh, ready to rock and understanding the evolution thereof. So um, I would make both. Now, for me, YouTube is a bit of a priority, but um, so I would recommend both of them. But YouTube is not like... Okay, so I'm at, what am I at now? I'm at like nearly close to 28,000 subscribers, which is not a lot. Um, you know, I started the year with four, but I had four that I had had for eight years. I, the, the channel was dormant. So I put on, you know, roughly, um, but I, my goal is, let's say, 30 by the end of the year. I'll easily surpass that. So let's say 35 by the end of the year. I'll have put on, you know, 30,000 subscribers this year. Um, when I had 15 before the YouTube ad boycott, the money was actually not not bad. And then after the YouTube ad boycott, it went, you know, it just plummeted. So you're not going to get paid from YouTube right away either. Uh, Wonderboy had knee surgery. Someone says maybe fighting Masvidal. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'll still check in just the same. Where can DC take go? That's what he wrote. After another loss to Jones. Uh, if he loses again, I don't really know. I mean, you could go to heavyweight if Kane's not fighting, or you could take 
some other kind of catch weights or something, but I don't really know what he does after that. He might retire. Jones high as F at the moment. Who wants to fight Lesnar for real? I bet Jones would beat him. I bet Jones would beat him. Did you finish watching Glow? I did. Thoughts? Excellent, excellent show. Highest recommendation. Thoughts on the expressions, it's lit, or blank was lit, or the other expression, it's lit, fam. Also, P.S., the resolution is hurting my eyes. I don't know what to tell you guys. I've got internet, and it's the best I can do. So, uh, on it's lit, yeah. It's lit is said by people who are either being ironic, which is fine, or people who would consider reading Harry Potter, you know, like literature. Uh, if DC loses and he doesn't really earn the belt, is his legacy tarnished? Depends on what you think their legacy is. You know, do you think that they're terrible? Um, do you think that DC loses and he doesn't earn the belt, is his legacy tarnished? No, but it will have the same asterisk that it always had. Very, very good. One of the never the best. It might just be me, but there's something about Lawler Cowboy that makes me yell a Ronnie Coleman. Yeah, buddy. Uh, you're not alone. Lots of people feel that way. It's just I'm 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 asking you guys to exercise some caution about this. Thoughts on the return of Alexandra Elbu? No. Thoughts on horror movies? Don't have any. Those you really want to know my macros? What's the over/under on the number of rounds McGregor wins versus Floyd? Uh, three or four? Three or four? I think Brendan Schaub is right to an extent. I do think Connor can win rounds, but all that has to happen is Mayweather has to win seven. He just has to win seven rounds. That's it. Uh, on deadlift day, do you do any variations like sumo, dumbbells, or trap bar deadlifts? I do not do trap bar. Uh, exclusively doing sumo right now because I've had back issues like a mother effer. Uh, but those are unrelated actually to, like the, the deadlifting is making it better, not worse. Uh, and I will do dumbbells on a Romanian deadlift. I like that actually. I'll do some dead, uh, deadlift, uh, Romanian deadlift stuff with dumbbells. If you see a $50 bill on the ground, do you pick it up for yourself or leave it? Not only do I pick it up, I Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, tweet about it and say how awesome my luck is and how sorry yours is. I'll do one more. Question, could John Jones win a notable BJJ Blue Belt Gi tournament if he entered? Yes, and he could also lose as well. Remember, he has really good jiu-jitsu. He has really good gi, or no gi jiu-jitsu. I do not know how good his gi jiu-jitsu is. That gi he was wearing in the promotion, it was you could tell that was the that was fresh out of the bag. He had never worn it before. Um, so he got his blue belt, which is cool, but 
and I'm sure he's good. He might win all these tournaments. Don't get me wrong, but there are some guys if you watch him at the highest level at the at the Worlds, and they're doing lapel reverse De La Warm Guard stuff. And I don't know if he has enough answers for that, but uh, he might. He could. He got. It could be. Well, he's 30 at this point, so he'd be in Masters anyway. All right. I have to go. Thank you so much for watching. Sorry about the tech issues. Back to normal next week. Um, give the video a like. Subscribe to MMA Fighting. And I have to go to the presser. I'll see you guys later. Until then, thank you so much for watching. Stay frosty.